Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So, hi, yes, hello, everyone. Welcome back from your Memorial Day vacation weekend. Hopefully you had a good weekend. Hopefully you lived someplace where you were allowed to go outdoors and perhaps do things with groups of 10 or more people or less or perhaps more, depending on where you are. Um, I spent the majority of my Memorial Day weekend watching LP National online, but we will get there. We will get there. But yes, my weekend was spent. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, we will get there, but I want to go ahead and start where I have been starting, and that is with the unemployment numbers. Uh, For the week of May 16th, there were an additional 2.4 million people who did sign up for unemployment. So that is going down again week over week. So like I said, it's still a lot of people, but at least it's getting a little better. Um, There's been especially over the past week or so, and I imagine it has accelerated a lot with this Memorial Day weekend, of people kind of just taking it upon themselves to decide that they are done with lockdowns and now they are going to go outside and do stuff and patronize businesses that are open. So I'm interested to see over the next couple of weeks what various state and local governments do in response to that of people basically deciding, yep, we're done. So... Hopefully those numbers will continue to go down, but yes, it's still still ugly out there, but getting less ugly. So turning from that to something that we haven't discussed in a while, and that's that, hey, it is still an election year, and we are still having a presidential election, apparently, in November. Fingers crossed. And so it is now the time of year when a candidate starts thinking about perhaps picking a nice running maid and settling down with someone that they could spend the summer with, traipsing across the country, promoting the message of whatever Joe Biden is promoting the message of. Uh, We've not seen Joe lately, from what I understand. He's basically been hanging out in his basement, which, okay, Joe Biden, literally all of us, apparently. But this past week, there has been movement on that front of people publicly coming forward and saying that, yes, they have been tapped to be part of the vetting process. So Biden is now starting to kind of put out the feelers, start the formal vetting process for his VP picks. And if you'll remember from about three decades ago, when we had Democratic presidential debates, Biden said that he would pick a woman running mate. And so at this point, the first person who came out and officially announced that, yes, she has been contacted by Team Biden and is going through the vetting process is Amy Klobuchar. Um, There is also rumors that Elizabeth Warren has been contacted. There's rumors that Kamala Harris has been contacted. Um, The Klobuchar pick is interesting, though, because if you will remember, right before Super Tuesday, her and Pete Buttigieg were two of the biggest people to drop out just pre-Super Tuesday, basically clearing the way for Joe Biden to run the table on Super Tuesday and effectively clinched the nomination. Of course, obviously, there are still primaries to be had. There are states that did delay their primaries. So there are still a batch of primaries, but Joe Biden has already cinched it up. So he is the presumptive nominee. So at that time when that happened, there was a lot of speculation that both 
Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg were doing so in order to kind of position themselves for a spot in a Biden administration at some point in the future. So it looks like for Klobuchar, like I said, she is the first one to officially announced that, yes, she is going through the formal vetting process. That gamble may have worked out for her. Fingers crossed for her. Um, Who has not been formally put in the vetting process, however, is a even bigger story than who has been. And the person who has not been formally announced as going through the vetting process is one Stacey Abrams, which over the past week, um, I actually think it dropped last Sunday, either last Sunday or last Monday. Uh, the New York Times did a profile on her and they did this ridiculous like IDW-esque photo shoot where there's one picture of her in a freaking cape for Christ's sake. But it has been obviously over the past, gosh, couple of months. I mean, even going back to when we had Democratic primary debates. Uh, the media has been pushing Stacey Abrams very hard to be Biden's VP, VP pick. And Stacey Abrams herself has been kind of out there campaigning for the job. So at this point, her not being part of that initial first round of going into the vetting process is a little embarrassing for her. And there's a clip going around on social media. I'm sure you can find it or you can find it on YouTube. Um, Apparently, I forget what day it was, but there was an interview where obviously everybody's participating remotely and it's the host, Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams. And like, you can get the vibe from watching this piece that Abrams thinks that like, this is the moment when Joe Biden is going to like make the announcement that he's like putting her in the vetting process or announcing her as VP. And he basically just like friend zones the fuck out of her. Like the, like the VP version of friend zoning and the look on her face, it's just priceless. It's just like, it's almost painful to watch because you could just see somebody's dreams just like shatter in front of them. And it's just like, you almost feel bad for her, but not really. Because here's the thing. There's a reason why... When you are interested in being the vice presidential candidate for either the Democratic or Republican candidate, LP candidates handled separately, and we will talk about that in a little while, but the choice isn't yours or anybody else's other than the candidates. So when you're out kind of campaigning and putting yourself out there like that, it comes off a little presumptuous and a little pushy. And so this is why when high profile people are kind of asked because you know that this happens every election season uh, the you're kind of high profile you're expected people ask like well if you were tapped to be the vice president would you take the job and, it, and it's always like yes of course if i was picked i mean you know if i was picked i'm not you know gonna put myself out there and be pushy about it but if you ask sure i would totally take the job and you kind of play that game because you don't want to look like you're trying to push somebody into that job. And also, if it's not you, because obviously it's only going to be one person. If you kind of put all your eggs in that one basket like that, and then it's not you, then everybody knows that like any other position that you might take in that administration, they know it wasn't your first pick. Like everybody's kind of like, yeah, this is the consolation prize. And so that's why... 
you got to kind of be a little delicate about it when you're in that position of kind of playing the game. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into picking your vice presidential candidate, because like I said, technically it is the candidate's choice, but there's obviously demographics that go into it. There's regional considerations that go into it. Um, There's policy considerations that go into it. If a candidate is weaker in one area than another, then you pick that VP candidate who's stronger in that position to kind of shore up the ticket. Uh, There's just, there's a lot that goes into it. So you don't want to be the one who's like out there being like, yes, me, pick me, 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 me. And then it's not you because then it's like, oh, wow, that's embarrassing as hell. And it looks like that's what's going to happen to Stacey. So What happens to her after that, I don't know. Like I said, she may still make it into the vetting process, but she's not in that first round, which, yeah. And I mean, and people want to push Abrams because obviously she is a black woman. But even if you wanted to play that game, there are other women of color on offer right now who have better resumes than Stacey Abrams does. So even if you wanted to make that argument, like, oh, we should pick Stacey Abrams because she's a black woman, like, okay, well, then why not pick Kamala Harris? Like, her resume, as much as I don't like her, is more impressive than Stacey Abrams' resume. I mean, there's also Gretchen Whitmer. I forgot to mention her, the governor of Michigan, who is not a woman of color, but is somebody who has a impressive resume, as does Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. They've all held office. I mean, Klobuchar has been in the Senate. Warren's been in the Senate. Obviously, Harris has been in the Senate. And she's also held office in California. So, yeah, there's there's much better choices for Joe Biden, I do think, even if he wants to constrain his pool to just women, which he did back himself into that corner. So here you go, dude. But yeah, it's just a little a little embarrassing for Abrams and, and a reason and a demonstration of why you don't do certain things in certain ways and that there's a reason why other candidates have not done that in the past. It's like there's, you, you got to kind of keep your options open and you got to kind of play it a little cool because if you come off looking a little too desperate, then it's kind of like, well, you just screwed yourself out of pretty much everything because like what position are you going to offer her now? Like, I, I don't know. So anyway, like I said, there, there's still an election going on. And so there is that. Now, moving on to what I spent the majority of my weekend doing, which is watching the online portion of LP National 2020. At this point, I think I am going to write a piece for my Patreon page, and I will make it available for everybody, kind of based on the mechanics of actually watching this, irrespective of everything that happened during this portion of the National Convention, just the whole idea of watching a convention online at home and or various other places and kind of that experience and the mechanics of kind of how this went down as far as technology wise, kind of glitches, ways things were handled, workarounds, stuff like that. So pay attention for that. I'll probably be a couple days, but I think I want to handle that in the written form. But I do want to discuss obviously what happened in the LP National 2020 online edition. First and foremost, we did get our presidential and vice presidential candidates. Uh, Presidential candidate is Joe Jorgensen. Vice presidential candidate is Spike Cohen. I am fine enough with this ticket. 
Um, Jorgensen has been in the Libertarian Party for decades. I mean, she's a well-established known quantity. She's got a PhD. She's a professor at Clemson. She's a business owner. She's been a VP pick before. So somebody who is very known within the movement. I also think it's very interesting that this year of all years, we are having our first female Libertarian presidential candidate. So props to us for doing that. Um, it's going to be an interesting contrast between Biden and Trump and Jorgensen, whereas you have one reality TV star doofus and you have a guy who has been in the Senate for longer than I've been alive. I don't know if he's ever actually held a real job. And then you have somebody who has actual credentials. So that's that's good. Um, as far as Cohen's concerned, um, I don't know much about him. Um, what I do know is obviously Jorgensen is more of a centrist and Cohen is an anarchist. So, and and to try to explain this, because some people I've seen online ask, um, the way the LP handles the presidential and vice presidential nominations, the presidential nomination nominee does not pick their VP. The VP is picked separately from the presidential nomination. Why? I don't know. I can't answer that. But they are two separate votes. So Jorgensen, for her part, wanted John Mons as her running mate. And I personally think that would have been a better choice. He did come in second. But Spike Cohen is who the delegates picked to be VP. And that is how the LP handles things. So that is what it is. Mike, there's, you know, there's a lot that can be said about the current internal state of the Libertarian Party. And this ticket is kind of emblematic of it. Obviously, um, going into this, I honestly really thought the ticket was going to be Hornberger Sharp. Just because of the amount of people who were supporting Hornberger, and also Sharp was in the VP running, he pulled out when Judge Jim Gray was bounced out of the presidential nomination because they had kind of I guess, pledged to run together. And so I guess once Gray was out, um, Larry Sharp dropped out. Think about that, whatever you will, but that's what happened. Anyway, so I was kind of surprised that Jorgensen got the nod and it went four rounds of voting. Um, The first round, she had like a fraction of a percentage point lead over Hornberger. And then in the subsequent rounds, the lead just grew more and more and more. And so obviously she ended up being the pick. So there's people that are not happy about that, which there's always going to be people in the LP who are not happy about anything if it's not their person. Personally, I, like I said, I think she'll be a fine candidate. I think she'll do a great job of spreading the message. She'll do a great job of spreading the fundamentals of the LP platform if and when she gets any kind of press, which fingers crossed. I know, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not mad about the ticket. I mean, it, it's fine. It's a fine ticket, I suppose. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I, I wanted Justin Amash, but obviously Justin Amash was not an option. And a lot of people have speculated that those who were kind of in my boat, who were Amash supporters, went to Jorgensen based on like, if you like thing A, then you will also like thing B. And I got to say, out of all of the other candidates, Jorgensen was probably the one most like Justin Amash. So I'm okay with that. I've met her. I've met her once. I met her at LP Georgia. 
and she's nice. She's fine, lady. I this I'm sure she will do a wonderful, fantastic job of being our presidential candidate. Anyway, to the <laughs> the rest of the convention, which yes, I watched most of ninety nine percent of all two and a half days of this. And when I say two and a half days, I mean, on Friday, we kicked off at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Friday went to about 11 p.m. Saturday, we started at 11 a.m. Eastern time and went to a little after 11 p.m. Eastern time. And then Sunday, we started at 11 a.m. Eastern time and finished up around 7.30. So when I say they were full days, they were really full days. And truth be told, I was a little exhausted when we were done on Sunday. I I was going to record on Sunday like I normally do, but like I said, it was already like 7.30 at night and events had transpired just prior to that, that after everything was done, I was just like, I am too damn worn out to talk about this right now. So anyway, let's talk about kind of the high points before we get to where everything kind of went to shit. Um... For the most part, things went pretty well on a technical sort of stance. I mean, obviously, this is the first time any party has done this. So yes, there were some technical glitches. There were some technical issues. Some people were having problems getting onto the Zoom call. Some people were having problems with their internet access. Um, Balloting and counting ballots took a little longer than planned. But like I said, I, I offer all of the leeway in the world for that, because this is the first time anybody's done this. And you can run as many kind of tests ahead of time. There's just things that are going to come up when you're in a live environment that you just don't even consider when you're in a test environment. So as far as that's concerned, I think things went as well as can be expected. Like, I mean, it it took longer than it would probably take in person. But like I said, it's it's not, it, it wasn't anything horrible on that level. Um, a surprise, though, that came out of this is that apparently, and this was brought to my attention by somebody retweeting uh, Megan McCain tweet that she was watching LP National online. And I was like, okay, Megan McCain's watching this. Well, come to find out her husband, Ben Dominich. Yes, that Ben Dominich, Federalist Ben Dominich was a delegate. And I was like, what? Holy shit, what the hell is going on here? And in case you don't know, one does not simply wake up in the morning and decide that they're going to be a delegate to LP National. The process is that you have to go and first off, become a member of your state's LP. Then you go to your state's LP convention, you get nominated to be a delegate, and then Under normal circumstances, you physically go to the convention and you participate on the floor. Obviously, this year you log into the Zoom webinar and you participate that way. But yes, apparently Ben Dominich is an LNC delegate. (laughs) And normally, like, this wouldn't be that big a deal if it wasn't for the fact that I am somebody who is asked and has been very interested in 
why it is that certain high-profile people who are either libertarian-leaning or really just straight-up libertarian, but don't want to take on the label of libertarian, like, what's what's stopping them? Like, what's, what is the thing that is holding you back from going full-on and saying, yes, I'm a libertarian? Dominic took it one step further. He actually became a delegate. Like, most libertarians don't want to be delegates to LP National. He actually went so far as to become a delegate. So that's that's beyond taking the label. That's becoming an active participant in the party itself. So I wonder if this is going to kind of start maybe something of a little trend of high-profile people like him finally becoming comfortable enough to at least, if not take it as far as Dominic did, to at least be like, yes, I'm a libertarian. It's a little ray of hope. Like, I, I was really surprised. Like, I was shocked to find that out. And yeah, I think that's cool. Like, I think it's cool that he went out of his way to participate in the party. Like, I, I think that's neat. I think it's a sign, hopefully, of better things to come. Although, after the end of this online portion of our conference, I don't know how much more of that we're going to be getting. But anyway, also, side note, um, and, and this also kind of leads back to a point that I wanted to make about Jorgensen being our, our presidential candidate. Dominic was a Jorgensen supporter before she was even the nominee. Like, he's been supporting her, and he said that he supports her because she is, like, a quote-unquote normal person who could be, like, your neighbor. And I'm like, this is the point that a lot of us try to make when it comes to picking presidential candidates, vice presidential candidates, um, any kind of person who's going to run for electoral politics, is you always have that argument between, do you pick the centrist who is going to possibly appeal to people who are not already in the party? Or do you pick the more hardline person that people within the party like, but people outside the party might be a little intimidated by or be scared off by? Um, Ben Dominich was a Joe Jorgensen supporter. So maybe there is something to that argument that picking the more centrist candidate, and that's not to say that Jorgensen's like middle of the road here. Like I said, she's been involved in the party and been part of the party for decades. Like she knows the platform. She knows the positions. Like she's not somebody who showed up six months ago. Like she's been here. But is somebody who can convey them in a way that isn't like automatically beating people over the head with the idea of we have to end social security today and we have to end the Fed today and we have to abolish the IRS today. Like she she advocates doing these things, but in a gradual fashion that addresses the fact, especially with social security, that there does need to be some kind of recompense for people who have been forced to pay into that system. And her option is to allow people to start opting out immediately, which I think is the best sort of way to square that circle where if you do not want to participate anymore, you don't have to, but still acknowledging that people who have been forced to participate this whole time do deserve something. Like you're not, you're not going to get anybody to vote for you if you tell somebody who's been paying into social security for 40 years, tough shit. 
Like that that's not gonna fly. Like let's be real, people. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna nobody's gonna vote for that person. So I, I just thought this was, was kinda interesting and a topic that nobody really much discussed that I saw. So just a little ray of silver lining in there somewhere that maybe maybe people might start coming around to adopting the libertarian label. But now to get to the part where everything kind of went pear-shaped. Um, managed to make it through vice presidential nomination on Sunday. That went fairly smoothly. That went three rounds. Not not much drama or anything much to speak of there. So that gets done. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. Like, we're, we're done. We're going to adjourn everything. Like, okay, we're done. Good, because those were the only two topics on the agenda that needed to be addressed in this section of the the conference is that we had to pick our presidential and vice presidential nominees. That was the only things on the agenda for this weekend. So I'm like, okay, cool. We're done. We're going to adjourn. Hunky-dory. We're, we we might have made it through this one. Somebody decides that they want to try to shoehorn more business into the agenda that was not on the original agenda. Somebody wanted to start, try to pick judicial nominees. And so had to entertain that motion. And let me go ahead and back up a little bit and talk about the less exciting, fun aspects of this weekend. I guess the easiest way to try to make this point is to say that, again, there were only two items on the agenda. It took two and a half days to get those two items done. There is a reason for that, and that is that there were some people who, for, I mean, I don't want to put reasons in people's mouths because I'm sure this happens every time LP National convenes, whether it's in person or not. You always have people who want to jam up the works with fucking nonsense, and that's what happened. And there were people who were doing it. It seemed to be basically to piss off Sarwak. And listen, I know there's a lot of people who don't like him. Okay, fine. Cool. Don't like him for whatever reasons. This is not the time nor the place to address that. This was a political conference. Like there was actual business on the table to be adjudicated by the delegates. Now is not the time to start trying to pull petty bullshit. And I swear to God, if I ever hear the word dilatory again in my life, I am going to find the person who says it and I'm going to slap you. I never want to hear that word again. That's how many times I heard it this weekend because of people proposing nonsensical stuff basically to make this drag out even longer because you're mad at whoever for whatever, like grow the fuck up and act like adults so that people can start taking us seriously. Anyway, so after the vice presidential nominations done and we tried to pivot to doing judicial nominations, the motion failed, by the way, um, Sarwak, Surprised the shit out of everyone. And when I say surprised the shit out of everyone, this came completely out of nowhere, at least for me. 
And to be fair, um, Sarwak is much like myself in where sometimes I can keep my annoyance out of my voice, but I cannot keep it off of my face. And <laughs> if you were at all paying attention this weekend, we we had some fun memifying Nick's Nick faces of just absolutely pained exasperation with the process and people trying to fuck it up. But after the judicial nomination motion failed, he took a point of personal privilege and said, and I had to actually go back and listen to this, which if you are so inclined, you can watch this whole production on YouTube, all, God, probably 20 plus hours of it, if you are a masochist like me. But he said that, uh, I'm trying to kind of paraphrase it because, uh, yeah, but basically the upshot of it was that because of events from this weekend and you kind of get the vibe from what he's saying in the tone of his voice that it's about this weekend, but it's not just about this weekend that at this point, he will no longer be chairing any conventions going forward, which means that effectively, at the end of this online portion, he handed the gavel over to Alex Merced and basically was like, you do it, like, I'll, I'll come back and do it if you want me to, but I'm just assuming you do it. And He's not going to be chairing the convention in Orlando if it does happen. If it does not happen, if it happens online, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that was left up in the air after this. And I'm not entirely comfortable with that. But basically at this point, yes, Sarwak is still the chair of the LP National Party. No, he will not be presiding over Orlando. And... Yeah. <laughs> it's wild to go back and watch it because like he, he does this, he makes this announcement and then he literally gets up and leaves. Like he leaves off camera. And there's a solid three seconds on the Zoom call where everybody is dead silent. Because we're all like, what the fuck just happened? Did, did Sarwak just quit being chair of the LP? And the answer is no. And if you weren't already aware, um, he's not running for re-election. So, I mean, this may be his last, like, official outward-facing thing as chairman of the LP. <sighs> Woo! So after that, everything pretty much descended into pure fucking chaos. <laughs> because nobody saw that coming. And Sawak did come back, not in his... his function as chair of the convention, but as chair, uh, or not as chair, but as a delegate, he is a New Hampshire delegate. And so basically what happened after that is having a discussion of figuring out how to adjourn the online portion of this, because apparently, and I'll try to keep from getting too far into the weeds on this because it does get kind of technical, but basically the motion to adjourn had to be verbalized in such a a fashion as to kind of square a circle. Basically, if if we had just moved to adjourn and didn't say anything else, that would be the end of LP National 2020. 
if we adjourned specifically to a date and place and that did not happen, this would have been the end of LP 2020. So ultimately what ended up passing was Daniel Hayes offered an amendment saying that, okay, we're going to adjourn to Orlando on July 8th through 12th, I think it is, at Shingle Creek. And if for some reason that cannot take place, then we will have to figure shit out. Obviously, that we, we didn't put figure shit out in the amendment, but that's essentially where we're at. So at this point, we are adjourned to Orlando. Here's the thing. Watching all of this happen and listening to the delegates that I could listen to talk, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't join the Slack channel or anything, so I don't know what was said there, but there seemed to be this like de facto assumption that Orlando is going to happen. And I still have my doubts. Um, there is a contract on offer from Shingle Creek. Uh, LP has not signed it yet. It is not a done deal. So me putting on my business hat here, I'm not super cool with the idea of saying that we are going to adjourn to a specific date and place when that is not secured. I never assume that a contract is done until the ink is dry on it. That is just a recipe for disaster. Second of all, there's still a lot of logistical concerns with Orlando. Um, Florida is moving into phase two on their reopening. I am going to presume that since there is a contract on offer, it will be legal for LP National to hold their convention in Orlando as far as not running afoul of any rules saying that you have to have X amount of people or less in a specific spot. I'm, I'm assuming that's been hammered out. I, I can't attest to that. I I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure what the legality is going to be of having a gathering with a thousand plus people in July in Florida. I don't know. But as it stands right now, there are a few states that Florida is forcing people traveling in from those states to quarantine for 14 days. So provided those quarantine measures do not get dropped before LP National Orlando, you're going to have a delegate disenfranchisement issue. Hayes has said that there are AV options already unavailable and on the table to address that situation if and when it does happen. Here's my thing. Okay, say you offer these solutions to, there's there's four states, there's New York, Louisiana, and I can't remember the other two, who would be under a mandatory quarantine if they traveled into Florida. Say you offered AV solutions to them for them to participate remotely. Okay, so I can already see the argument. I can already see it forming that, okay, if those people have the option to, to participate remotely, why can't I? Like, okay, maybe I won't be quarantined, but I can't travel to Orlando in July, or I might be sick, or I don't want to get on an airplane, or I can't financially attend, or whatever reason. Like, where is the, where is the line going to be where you're going to say that, okay, these people can participate remotely, but these people can't? You know, like, where are you going to draw that line? So what I'm thinking is going to ultimately end up happening is that we are going to, ask backwardly, end up doing this all online again. (sighs) 
Um, and by all this, I do mean also nominating our new chairman and vice chairman. Yeah, if you thought this was a shit show this weekend, I don't even want to contemplate what that is going to look like. But that being said, I don't think Orlando is going to happen, or at least not in any kind of logistical way that is fair to everybody who has committed to being a delegate. Like, I don't I don't see any way to have a physical convention that's fair to everybody. And if it's not fair to everybody, then you're going to have people screaming about disenfranchisement issues, which they would be within their rights to do so. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable for somebody to say right now, I don't want to get on an airplane or I don't want to stay in a hotel or I don't want to be in a convention hall with a thousand people. Like, I don't think that's unreasonable. So I, I don't I don't understand. Anyway, so that's what happened this weekend. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, so lots of TBD. I'm sure there will be more epically long Zoom calls to try to figure out what the hell we're going to do in July. I mean, if Orlando happens, I would like to go. I I took, I, I took a COVID antibody test this weekend. I did that too. I'm waiting for the results of that. So maybe if I have antibodies, I can travel. I don't know. I don't know. There's so much we don't know. And like, Nobody seems to want to discuss it. And I'm like, um, guys, can we possibly get this nailed down sometime in the nearest future? Because it's the end of May and people have to make arrangements if they're going to be in Orlando on July 8th. You know, people got to make arrangements. You can't give people a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, my God. Anywho, that pretty much sums up everything that happened this week. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. If you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care, and until next time.